Hello and welcome to the Lancet Healthy Longevity Podcast in conversation with. It's September 2022 and I'm Cahill McQuillan. In this episode, we'll be discussing a longitudinal study that examined preparedness for healthy aging and polysubstance use in long-term cannabis users. We're joined today by the lead author on the paper, Dr. Madeline Meyer, who's an associate professor at the Department of Psychology at Arizona State University. First off, I'd just like to welcome you to the podcast. Uh, Thanks very much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. Of course. So first of all, questions around the effects of cannabis on cognition and activities of daily living have generally been restricted to younger people. Why were you interested in studying this in an older demographic? Well, three reasons. So first, older people are showing large increases in rates of cannabis use, larger than adolescents and younger people. And this is because older people today, baby boomers, right, people born during the period of rapid population growth after World War II, have more permissive attitudes about substance use. Baby boomers used cannabis at historically high rates as young adults, and now they're using cannabis at historically high rates as middle age and older adults. Second reason is older people have longer histories of cannabis use than adolescents and younger people, which to us raises interesting questions about the consequences of very long-term cannabis use. And then third, older adults represent a growing proportion of the U.S. and U.K. populations, which will increase demands on health care and social welfare systems. We were very interested to know if long-term cannabis use might be a modifiable risk factor for poorer aging. And what questions were you specifically interested in addressing in this study? Our main aim was to characterize long-term cannabis users' pace of biological aging in midlife and their preparedness for the health, financial, and social challenges that come with old age. By preparedness, we mean starting from a healthy point in midlife with ample health, financial, and social reserves to meet aging-related challenges. We know midlife is a critical period for preparing for older age. We wanted to find out if long-term cannabis users are falling behind others of the same age in terms of their aging preparedness. So we had four specific questions. First, how do long-term cannabis users compare with lifelong non-users? This comparison with non-users is useful because non-users represent the comparison group in most case control studies. Second, how do long-term cannabis users compare with people who used cannabis relatively infrequently in midlife? This comparison is important because the vast majority of people who use cannabis use it infrequently, less than once a week. We thought that people who would use cannabis infrequently in midlife might not show the same aging-related risks as people who use cannabis long-term. Third, how do long-term cannabis users compare with people who had used cannabis regularly but quit? This question is important for determining if cannabis cessation has benefits. Finally, our fourth question was, how do long-term cannabis users compare with long-term tobacco users and long-term alcohol users? This comparison was especially interesting to us because it allowed us to evaluate the often made claim that cannabis use is less harmful than tobacco or alcohol use. 
I should also mention that in addition to these group comparisons, we tested dose response associations, which means we tested whether people who used cannabis more persistently over time showed poor aging preparedness than people who used cannabis less persistently or not at all. This test is important because a dose response association would be expected if cannabis use was causal. Can you tell us a little more about the the Dunedin cohort and why you used it to address these questions? Yes, the Dunedin cohort is a representative birth cohort of all babies born in Dunedin, Zealand between 1972 and 1973. The cohort of about a thousand people has been followed longitudinally since birth with study members participating in repeated assessments at numerous ages up to age 45 and there are plans for continued assessment in the future. The Dunedin study is a multidisciplinary study of the cohort's health and development. It's not a study focused specifically on cannabis use. That said, there are a number of unique aspects of the study that make it ideal for studying the effects of long-term cannabis use. First, the study has excellent retention rates. Nearly all study members who are still are still participating in the study participant dropout can bias study findings, but that is not an issue with the Dunedin study. Second, the study obtained prospective assessments of cannabis use over a lifetime, allowing for a rich characterization of long-term histories of cannabis use uncomplicated by problems with retrospective recall. Third, the Dunedin study has obtained rich multimodal measures of midlife aging preparedness, including biomarkers indexing the pace of biological aging, MRI, so magnetic resonance imaging measures, indexing brain age, measures of gait speed, facial age, health knowledge, self-predicted life expectancy, monetary savings, credit scores from credit agencies, informant reports of financial problems, and self-reports of social support, loneliness, and satisfaction with life. Such rich measures allowed us to investigate links between long-term cannabis use and aging preparedness in a way that really has not been done before. And, and what were the findings of your study? Yeah, we found that long-term cannabis users are underprepared for the demands of old age. Compared with cannabis non-users, long-term cannabis users showed accelerated biological aging and poor health, financial, and social preparedness for old age. Long-term cannabis users also fared worse than the midlife kind of infrequent cannabis users on most aging preparedness outcomes and fared worse than cannabis quitters on some outcomes, suggesting that infrequent cannabis use in midlife is not associated with poor aging preparedness and quitting, quitting cannabis may have benefits. Long-term cannabis users also fared worse than long-term alcohol users in all domains except for social preparedness and fared similarly to long-term tobacco users in all domains. But there's a caveat here. The most long-term cannabis users in the cohort also use tobacco and alcohol, whereas the long-term tobacco and long-term alcohol user groups were selected to be largely free from cannabis use. So we needed to do additional analyses to try to separate out the effects of cannabis use from the effects of other substance use. To do this, we 
examined whether people who used cannabis more persistently over time had poor aging preparedness than people who used cannabis less persistently or not at all, even after accounting for differences among these people in their tobacco, alcohol, and other illicit drug use. The results of these additional dose response analyses suggested that long-term cannabis users' use of other substances accounts for much but not all of their deficits in aging preparedness. Further, we found that people who used multiple substances persistently over time, right, persistent polysubstance users, consistently fared the worst in terms of biological aging and midlife health, financial and social preparedness for older age, highlighting the powerful nature of long-term polysubstance use. So I know you, you kind of briefly discussed it there, but the implications around probably substance use, do you think that means that cannabis use alone is not so detrimental? I know you said that it didn't account for all of the um, uh, negative outcomes, but yeah, right. is it, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, you're right. I think that the findings suggest cannabis users are behind others, but it's not because of their cannabis use per se. It may be attributable to their sort of long-term histories of polysubstance use. I think regardless, it's important to recognize that, in fact, most cannabis users in real life do use other substances. And so from a clinical you know, perspective, their actual midlife functioning places them behind same-age peers in terms of their preparedness for the demands of older age. So efforts are needed to provide long-term substance users with practical strategies in midlife for improving their health, financial, and social preparedness for older age. It's really interesting. So thank you. In in your paper, you, you briefly mention how your cohort would have maybe started smoking in the 80s and 90s and how cannabis potency has grown much stronger in the time since then. Does this have much consequence for young people today? Does it oppose an additional risk to healthy aging? That's a really good question. To THC concentration, right? THC being the psychoactive constituent of cannabis that causes the, you know, the high has risen in most places in the U.S. from 4% THC in the 1990s to now in dispensaries regularly finding, you know, marijuana flower products with THC concentrations of around 20%. And you can even find products with, you know, upwards of 80 or 90% THC. And I guess the key kind of question researchers are trying to understand is, will those rising THC levels result in more harm for users? Um, on the one hand, it could, because we do think that THC is at least acutely responsible for some of the kind of impairing effects of cannabis, right? Um, on the other hand, it's possible that cannabis users learn to titrate their use, which means taking less cannabis when the THC concentration is high. So really, this is a fundamental question that researchers are still trying to understand, to answer. Um, but it's possible that the rising THC levels uh, mean that we underestimated harms of cannabis because the cohort was using lower THC cannabis than what's available today. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I know that uh, I believe that the proportions as, as well of uh, CBD and THC have changed quite a lot. Uh, I know that THC, I think there's always been higher concentrations, but I think with the increase of THC, CBD levels have also dropped. Um, so it's also an interesting question to see if that'll potentially have you know long-term effects. It's something uh, that we'll find out as time goes on. Agree. So 
Finally, what policy implications do you believe your findings have and what what should policymakers do to try and improve outcomes for long-term cannabis users? I think we need to recognize that long-term cannabis users are underprepared for the demands of older age. And this is likely not a, a consequence of their cannabis use per se, but rather, like I mentioned earlier, a consequence of their extensive histories of use of multiple different substances over a lifetime. But, you know, when you, when a, when a doctor, a physician or a clinical psychologist, someone out in the field, uh, sees a, you know, a midlife person who's been using cannabis for long term, it's important that they recognize that that person's actual midlife functioning, um, is behind, right? In terms of their preparedness. And it's, I think it's very important that we offer kind of practical solutions in midlife for improving health, financial and social preparedness for older age. Thanks so much for taking the time to, to speak with me here today. It's been a real pleasure chatting to you. You're most welcome. You can read Dr. Meyer's research online now at thelancet.com. Thank you to Dr. Meyer and thank you for listening to this episode of In Conversation With. Remember, you can subscribe to In Conversation With, The Lancet Healthy Longevity, wherever you usually get your podcasts.